everybody welcome to another edition of the anything but typical podcast and if you are in charlotte north carolina if you are running a business if you have done any sort of sales training whatsoever you're going to know the name of our next guest, Jim Dunn. Yes, the Jim Dunn of Sandler Training Systems. Um, he is on the show today. Can't wait for you hey, to folks. hear his story. And I've known him for a number of years now. He's been our sales coach, but there are still plenty of things that I'm going to learn today, too. So, Jim, here's the scenario. You and Tessa, first of all, congratulations on 40 years of marriage. Thank you. You guys are walking with another couple to, let's say, one of your favorite restaurants in town. I know you'd been to Little Mama's, Little Mama yep. Ricotta's, which is a great restaurant in town, if anybody hasn't been there. Awesome. But you are, you are walking from the parking lot. Somebody sees you you and they go hey that's jim dunn they start talking about you not realizing you can overhear everything that they're saying about you what would you want somebody to say about you jim well gary that's a great question and uh, first of all thanks uh everybody for listening in and uh and being a part of the show ben i thank you uh, with that too that's a huge responsibility so how would i answer something like that Obviously, what I would really want to hear from someone if they were talking to anybody, a spouse, a friend or anything else, is that, hey, you see that guy over there? He's authentic. He walks his talk. Uh, he runs a, a sales training and leadership organization in Charlotte. But I have to tell you, the time that I have known him, he actually walks the talk. He does what he talks about doing in training. He lives it out. He lives his life on purpose. And not only that, from what I understand, he's really a great father to three children that he has, and now a grandfather to two granddaughters. And he's a great husband. I've been married 40 years, and my wife is most definitely my better half and my partner for life. And I'm just grateful to have her. And I think another thing that I would really want them to say on the professional side is, you see that guy right there? He makes sales into a high-integrity profession. My purpose all along, I've been a Sandler trainer for 30 years, and I am really bothered when uh, people don't hold in high esteem the profession of selling. Selling is a profession, just like law, just like medical, just like accounting, engineering, architecture. It is a profession. And as a profession, unfortunately, a lot of the world has gone to, you know, one day training sessions or they've had corporate training for a week and they think that they are one. And I'm bothered by that. So I would want them to say that guy right there has really made sales into a profession by what he speaks about, how selling is not just about going for people's money and making a sale. Uh, it's about having and developing a real good inner presence uh, and being able to communicate real well and always giving people, whether they be prospects or not, the dignity of choice. And choice means that if we are a good fit, wonderful, let's make it happen. And if we are not a good fit or if the timing isn't right, we can walk away and and both parties be okay. That's my story, Gary. I love it. And that has been true to my experience with you, Jim. Uh, and I'll just say before we get into it, I was biased <laughs> against Sandler a little bit because I had listened to all of those CDs <laughs> when um, one of my partners had said, Gary, you need to listen to all these things. So I did. And there were some things in there that Mr. Sandler said that I was like, oh, I just, I could not <laughs> buy into it. But you 
you proved me wrong. Um, and you, you did exactly what you just said, which was, it ain't about trickery. It's not right. about Kung Fu moves. It is about listening. It's about determining a good fit where a win-win happens for everybody. And, and you yeah. really did help us with that. So we'll unpack more of that, but thank you, Jim, for that. So Ben, take us back through a little bit more. Yeah. And, and Jim, I know you were a triathlete, but if you do have Kung Fu moves, we also need to see those. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Jim was a CEO of his own company and owned a Sandler franchise and merged with BGW CPA uh, in April of 22. So almost a year ago, and he's the director of BGW Growth Services now. And so we've got a lot to talk about of just the, the background of, of coaching and sales, the this merger, what it looks like for you now. But I want to go back to the why of it all for you. What about sales attracted you to it? What, what were you interested in early on? Yeah, thank, thanks, Ben. I was very fortunate. Uh, I, um, I learned a lot from my father. Uh, and my father was actually an attorney who... Um, for his own reasons, did not like practicing law. Um, he was much more of a people person uh, and left uh, being, being a, an attorney and um, became a salesperson. And that was just more his style and, and, uh, and his personality. No offense to my attorney friends who might be, uh, might be listening. We love our attorneys. Uh, but my father was always very entrepreneurial, and I learned a lot from him. He was a manufacturer's rep. So what that really means is, is that um, he, wasn't a, a, uh, he wasn't employed by a company. He went out and he found various lines, products, services uh, to sell. And when I was younger, I used to travel with him during the summer. And one of the things that I always remembered about my father, many things, but uh, uh, my father was always like, get a good education uh, and then one day have a business of your own. You're, and that's your decision what that will be. Uh, I want to educate you to where you can make that choice. So... When I was growing up, my father and, and my mom gave me a lot of latitude, and, and, and I learned a lot from that. But as far as being an entrepreneur, yeah, I was, you know, like, and I've heard your guests say this, and I'm the same way. I would sell lemonade uh, as a, as a uh, when I was a kid. I cut uh, various yards in the neighborhood. Uh, I learned how to save money. Uh, I learned that, you know, my father was really big that if you want it, uh, then you'll save up for it. It was before the time of, you know, heavy credit card use. So if you wanted something, you had to save for it first and then you uh, then you bought it. So I learned I, you know, uh, and I was very fortunate and something else that, uh, that that in my college years, I went to East Carolina University. And my father said to me before I left, he said, you know, I'm giving you an opportunity and this is up to you. And if you make it fantastic and if you don't, it's on you. You only have one chance to uh, to make this. So my claim to fame was uh, that uh, I graduated in four years. I graduated with honors uh, and also as spending money, uh, I worked. So my father said, if you want to have the spending money, then you need to go and work. So that gave me a great discipline of how to use my time, because for any of us in the college experience, there's lots of distractions, right? Uh, and so uh, I, I learned at that early age. So when I did graduate and I was able to get a job, my thought was, OK, well, uh, I want to learn as much as I can from corporate America, which I did, and then I will be in pursuit of something. So I knew at some point in time, I was hoping by the age 30, uh, that I would know what that was. And so uh, it was later at age 35 when I actually found Sandler and I, I did that. But I've always been an entrepreneur and I've always appreciated those people 
uh, who are really industrious and and who go after their dreams. That's that's. Hey, can amazing. I interject one thing? Yeah, please. Um, another interesting like commonality uh, across all of our, our our folks is this kind of. Um, besides humility, but an intentionality of, hey, I want to do something. Now, Philip Lanier, who we just launched today, um, said that he he started a business and didn't realize he was starting a business yeah. like that. <laughs> that was an interesting, like <laughs> different thing. But even some of the other folks that we've had that went in kind of a traditional, okay, corporate America, they they went into it because with intentionality, I am going to learn something yeah. so that I can then use those things into entrepreneurship, which right. I think is really wonderful because not everybody, everybody, a lot of people think, oh, well, entrepreneurs, they just come out of the womb and, you know, they just can't work for anybody else. Some people are like that, but there is a beauty in that intentionality of, all right, I'm, I'm paying attention. Um, I still have things to learn. That is that humility of willingness to learn. And we want to talk a little bit more about that too, because Jim, I know you are a voracious reader, which is another common thread yeah. <laughs> to all, of, you know, whether they're readers or listeners, but they are learners. Either way, they're learners. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. Take us into even some of that learning predisposition as you were going into then corporate America and some of that track. Yeah, thanks, Gary. It 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 is all about learning. And I have to tell you, one of my greatest learning experiences, nothing against college, but I felt like when I got out of college, I really, uh, gosh, there was so much that I really did not know. And so I remember one of the things that I did, and I'm, be, I'm being a little bit humble here, but it's the truth is that, uh, and this is back in the day of uh, cassettes, I bought a cassette on uh, vocabulary and I had a decent vocabulary, but it wasn't really a great vocabulary. So what I remember doing was I was, uh, I was in my car and that was, that was, that turned out to be the greatest educational resource that I ever had. It was before cell phone. Uh, and, and so there were no distractions. It was either just driving and what else do you do? So I used my car as a library and I remembered that I, and I, and I love music. I love music, but I remembered that I had the discipline that every time I was in my car, I would pick up uh, something and I would learn. So I learned really about selling. When I went into corporate America, we learned a lot about their products. We learned a lot about their services. We learned a lot about their culture, but I really didn't know that much about selling. So I bought books from uh, an, an audio uh, cassettes at the time before audio books came into be from Earl Nightingale. Uh, and uh, and Brian Tracy, uh, and you know some of those really great people that laid the foundation of what it really looked like to be a good salesperson. And going back to the vocabulary, why did I do that? Well, I felt like uh, that to be able to connect with people that I wanted to, which was a higher professional, that I needed to have a really good vocabulary, not just in speaking the words, but listening and, and really understanding and fully comprehending. So, uh, and I had a lot of books on the personal side uh, as, as well, uh, that one of my favorites was The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. And I got to tell you, I read that book after uh, college and, and, and it was just profound. So here it was, you know, not a book related to business, but I learned so much from that, the ingenuity of, of, uh, uh, of that character and how time was really precious. So I've been a student all of my life. Uh, you know, it's sad that the facts are that when most people end their college career, then this is a real stat, 
that in 10 years afterwards, it's about 70% of them read less than five books. And now wow. uh, I am at least listening to, we're in a book of uh, going through at least two or three books a month on audio books. And probably like a lot of us, I've got four or five books on my night table that I'm listening to of all kinds of subjects. But I think that's the the privilege that we all have is, is, is learning and growing. Uh, if not, you know, we become pretty boring people after a while, right? Yeah. Wow. Interesting stat. Yeah, it's sad, but it's so true that very few people actually read books and, and less than five books. Is yeah, that so like of, five books in, in a lifetime? In no, that, 10 like years period. after college. Oh, oh, in a 10-year period. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Very sad. Very sad. Well, how, and, many, you know, how, how many people, though, went through elementary school, high school, college, and they were learning because they were told they had to learn exactly. and they never enjoyed learning, right? So now if somebody's not over their shoulder telling them they have to do it and they never fell in love with what learning could do. You know, that's a really good point right there, Ben. I got to tell you, you know, uh, as I deal with people, there's really three kinds of folks that are out there. There's the winners of life. There's the at-leasters of life who kind of settle for comfort zones uh, and the non-winners of life. And I have to tell you, and being quite humble and honest with the, everybody who's listening, in high school and even in early college, I was kind of an at-leaster. Uh, and that propelled me of who I am today, because I was not always the best student. I wasn't. I was far from it. Let me let me rephrase it. I was I, I was an average student, and 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 I, I I really went to college because one I thought I was going to play football there, uh, but secondly is that uh, is that I was you know told from mom and dad you need to go to college, you need to get an education. That's what you really need to do. It wasn't until I was in college that I really, I think, really hit adulthood where I made my own adult decision that, you know, as much as and the good intent that my mom and dad had, it really is up to me. It's not up to them. Uh, and if I'm doing something because someone else told me that I needed to do it, I'm living like a child and I'm not living like an adult. So I had to really come up to the plate and say, no longer, I'm going to live like an adult. And part of living like an adult is taking responsibility. And what is it that you really want? And go, whatever it is that we want in life, we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to grow. We're going to have to fail. We're going to have to make have learn from the lessons that uh, that we have. But I think it's really important to note that, you know, I wasn't one of these people that, you know, rose to the all the occasion and, you know, did this and that. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from my failures, and that's who, that's what has made me who I am today. Jim, you, you bring up something that's really interesting, partially because I just went back through uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear's yeah. book. And yeah, great book. Yeah, and every, I have to revisit it every once in a while. So one of the things that, that he talks about in there that I'm curious about with you is Going from hab one habit to another, right? Whether you're replacing it or trying to swap it out or whatever, you had this mentality of that at leaster, right? As you call it, yep. you're making that transition in your life. What were some of the things that you had to do, whether it was putting habits in your life or being able to change your mindset? Take us through that transition of you personally, of what were what were some of those things you had to do? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ben. I'll go back to my dad. <clears throat> Uh, when I was a kid, I was kind of a fat, chubby little kid, not little kid, but but anyway, <laughs> I was my dad showed me this picture one time of uh, of this athlete, you know, bodybuilder It was before Arnold Schwarzenegger and all of that. But he said, hey, look, this is what I want you to look like. And I got to tell you, um, uh, it, I, I have a younger brother and we were in our backyard and, uh, we were, my dad took us over to our swing set in the gym and he wanted each of us to do pull-ups. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, that that my brother, when we were young, we were like eight, nine years. My brother's two years younger than me. So if I'm nine, he's seven. Well, my brother could could knock off about, you know, about four or five pull ups and I couldn't do one. And that's the truth. And I got to tell you, uh, and I didn't like that. And I didn't like that at all. Uh, and so it wasn't at that age, but I started in high school when I was playing football and I started going to the gym and I started working out and I started learning a lot of self-confidence by doing that. Uh, and I learned discipline and nobody told me that I had to do that. I was there. And because of that discipline there, I think what happened, Ben, is, is that I learned to put that discipline into other habits. Charles Duhigg wrote the book, The Power of Habit, that preceded Atomic Habits. And that is also an excellent book. Those two in conjunction, The Power of Habit and Atomic Habits. Well, the idea is, is that you can't change a habit. You have to have a new one. Uh, and so when you have and develop a new habit, you get better, you get smarter. And through reinforcement and through some confidence uh, that you build, other things take place. So, you know, Ben, as I grew up, then that took place in school. And then I started getting better grades. And, and of course, you know, we get our, you know, with a report card that gives you the feedback so in anything that we do, we have to have feedback. We have to monitor our success. How are we doing? So I began to get better grades. I began to feel better about myself. My, my self-confidence improved uh, by the disciplines that I had with, uh, with learning and, and uh, taking good care of my body. Uh, and right now, um, you know, I still am, um, uh, I would, I'm very athletic. I, I, I'm not doing those triathlons that I did before only because I've had two hip replacements and I kind of wore out two hips, but, but again, I don't regret that, but all of those are lessons learned by developing really good habits one at a time. And like any habit, a habit has to be reinforced and there has to be a good payoff, a good result at the end that keeps you doing it. Because if you don't have that, you're going to recede. It's interesting, Jim, your, your life does embody discipline and habits. And, and yes, you are a very competitive person. But one thing that I love about you is competitive doesn't mean I must win, you must lose, or if you lose, that means I I or if you win, I lose. Right. It's not a zero sum game. It but there is fun in competition, but it's yes. these daily habits, it's these daily disciplines that really separate the wheat from the chaff in many, many regards. You know, intentions, everybody has great intentions. Yes. But the follow-through, not everybody's willing to commit to that. And so I just think, hey, you know. You've done a good job on that. And I want to keep diving into a little bit more on like, what are those kind of habits that have worked for you? Yeah, well, uh, it all starts with uh, with with uh, with your morning routine. We all have a routine. And again, our routine is habit. The question is, how well is that serving you? So um, I wake up, I'm an early riser. So I'm normally up 4.30, 5 o'clock. This morning I was up at 5 o'clock. And there's a couple of things that, uh, that I do to really set my day right. Uh, one is uh, that uh, I'm a man of faith. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm perfect far from it. Uh, that's why I am a man of faith. And I spend time, uh, I spend time in, in, in positive news. I spend time... Uh, in the in in the word, I spend time uh, in that working on my spiritual side because you take that with you everywhere that you go, mind, body, spirit. So in the morning, I try to work on not try. I do. I work on all three. So I work on the spirit side. And that tends to make me a better person, better t tends for me to be a better communicator. 
mind. We have a choice every day and actually every minute of how we think. Uh, and it's a fact that uh, 76% of our self-talk is negative. That is a fact. Uh, and so knowing that fact, I don't want to be a part of that statistic. I want to be part uh, of that uh, that 24, 26%, whatever that uh, that that is thinking on the positive side. That's a discipline. So what I do is I... Uh, I I have self affirmations and self beliefs that I write out or that uh, that that I read. What would be an example of that? An example of that would be that uh, hey, everybody that I speak to today, I am going to have well, meaningful, awesome conversations. I do a lot of training and a self-talk that I would have a discipline would, you know, every client that I have, whether coaching group session, they're going to get my A game today. They're going to get everything that, that is, is it's all about them. It's not about me. So that's an example of that. And I also, um, I do some exercise, uh, because if I'm working on spirit, body, mind, then I can go to the workplace and I am ready to go. And that doesn't mean at the end of the day that I'm not tired and I'm worn out, but that's how I start my day. So even with clients, one of the first things that I do is I tell, I ask them to write out what their top three goals of the day are in, uh, in business, because it's amazing. Our problem with all of us is we react on what's on our, on our phones, What's on the computer? We immediately go to the computer. We immediately go to Facebook. And we start out the day perhaps with reading or looking at something negative. I know that it exists. And I keep up with news. But the challenge is I want my mind focused on the right things. Because with what I do, I want to make sure that every client, every prospect, they get my best. And actually, they deserve my best. They don't deserve anything less than that. Um, Jim, you talked about how uh, your faith and in, in spirit, being spiritual plays a role in your life. Can you talk a little bit deeper about that of how has that been a foundational piece for you? What does that look like for you? Any, any way you want to take it? Yeah, uh, thanks, Ben. It's, ab it's, it, it's absolutely uh, huge because uh, I did not always have that. Uh, and I was for very fortunate that I was brought up in a really good home. Uh, and we went to church, but I was far from it. And when I went to college, I was far from it. Uh, and I will have to say, I went uh, to Atlanta for a job afterwards. And uh, one night watching a TV with, because I was living with my grandmother at the time, uh, Billy Graham comes on. And I, and immediately I was thinking to myself, oh gosh, I got to get out of here. But something told me that no, you need to you need to stay here for a little bit. And I watched that and that absolutely transformed my life. That was just one of those moments when uh, I had that moment. Thank you, Billy Graham, to where uh, I recognized I was far from living uh, the way that I wanted to. Uh, my faith uh, my faith just took on a whole new dimension and took over number one in my life. And to this day, I try to do my best. I make mistakes every day. And so anybody listening to this, I am far from, again, being perfect or the other. But it's because of that humility. I have an, I have an intellectual humility that it's not about me. Uh, but I do also believe that that higher power is at work in me uh, and makes me that better person. So it is my responsibility to, uh, to tune in right in the beginning of the morning to do the best that, uh, that, I, that, that I can with that. And when I do that, um, I'm a better person. And for whatever reason, if I miss it, I'm just a completely different person. It's it's really interesting because there's we've had multiple uh, entrepreneurs on this show that that talk in some form or fashion of what guides 
morality, humility, things like that for them. Uh, so that being your habit and discipline that you have in the morning and the fact that you're self-aware enough to recognize you're a different person when you don't do that, right? it, it shows how it's going to be different for every person, right? But it shows how having some sort of moral compass baked right in and, and have that be a part of your discipline can go so far in shaping who you are and how you interact with the world. Well, especially if I, if I can, you know, in the business community, we read the papers, we see all that happens. Uh, and, and so uh, I think we all have a responsibility, not only to be our best selves, but when we're out in the business world, uh, is it some form or fashion that um, people can see through it? They can see whether you were really authentic and the real deal or uh, if you uh, if you were not. And again, I make lots of mistakes. I've made mistakes in business. I've made some miscalculations. Uh, and and that's just really being honest. So it doesn't give me in any way a free pass or that I'm entitled in any way. I think it just gives me a respect uh, for uh, in my case, I'm representing Sandler. In my case, I'm representing uh, BGW Growth Services. Uh, but I'm also representing uh, myself and my family and what I represent. And if I if I talk about being one thing and the world sees another, I think we've seen I think we see enough of that in the news today. Yeah. The the other part of that, and this is going to go more into your interaction with the people you're coaching, is that mindset. The fact that over 70% of self-talk is negativity. You're interacting with these people that are going out quite often doing something that they're is not in their comfort zone, right? Having right. having conversations with people, being and trying to do their jobs and, and make a sale or whatever it looks like. How do you help? those individuals that you're coaching to change that mindset so they don't fall under the trap of most of their self-talk being negative. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think the, the that uh, as a coach, uh, I have learned these two words, how to be nurturingly assertive. Uh, and And here's what that means. Being nurturing does not mean in any way to be a wimpy coach or to let people's excuses keep them from uh, from from doing things. So I think as a coach that uh, that that what I do is uh, is first of all create a safe zone. Um, Selling is all about understanding human nature. And one of the traits that a bad coach has or a bad leader has is what we call critical parent. Critical parent is, and we talk to ourselves in critical parent. Critical parent is you should do this. You can't do this. Why did you do this? So it's that tone and that criticism. But there's also another part that makes a really great coach. And a really great coach uh, is one who is uh, nurturing uh, and empathetic and a good listener. However, there's also that part of that really good coach that understands the value of accountability. So I think when I really make an, a, 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 the impact that I want to uh, on any client, Ben, is when I can help them understand they're the problem. Let me say that again. When they understand they're the problem versus me telling them that they're the problem, they then become very open and receptive to really good communication. The problem is we live in a world that, you know, I, I call it, I'll go into a little bit of psychology here. We call it Cartman's Triangle. There's three parts to it. Cartman's Triangle is persecutor. Persecutor is that critical parent. You should have done this. You should have done that. Well, with any critical parent, there's always a victim. The victim is, hey, why me? Why are you, why are you, why are you doing this with me? And then there's a third piece in there that's called rescue. 
So that's called Cartman's Triangle. It's also called inauthentic communication. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of people are today. And that's where uh, even a lot of leadership is today. Persecuted. You didn't, you didn't meet your goal. Victim is, I did my best. Rescue afterwards is, is that, wow, they go and complain to somebody else and somebody else says, well, you know, they're just being a jerk and all, all the other. And now you have a problem. It's called a communication problem. And it's an internal, Cartman's triangle works two ways. It's internal within our own mind, but it's also between people because it takes two to play. And so the idea is, is that if you can help someone to recognize that they are the problem and it's up to them to make any kind of changes, habits and, and, uh, and new goals. The other that's really difficult in coaching, Ben, is that you cannot grow unless you're willing to fail. And let me say that again. You cannot grow unless you're willing to fail. You are going to fail. I have failed at so many things. But again, it's that's what makes me who I am. Now, now here's the critical, here's the critical function. You cannot let failure affect your identity as a human being. And that's the problem. That's why we have the at leasters of the world. Because at leasters. When, when something bad happens or a less than favorable outcome happens, they identify that, that failure or, an, uh, or the less desirable outcome to an identity problem. And of course, all this goes on subconsciously. And when that takes place, they've lost. They, 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 they lose that intensity. That's why technique training uh, does it work? Uh, that's why in any type of training, uh, we have something that's called the success triangle. We love our triangles and Sandler. So think of a triangle. Here's the success triangle. Up at the top is attitude. Bottom left-hand side is behavior. That's habits. That's what I do. And thirdly is technique. Well, 95% of corporate America training is on technique and they miss it. They don't get it. They miss it. And so the idea here is, is that going back to your question is, if I can help someone to number one, recognize that they're the problem without me telling them directly. And number two, if they can, if they can also recognize that failure is part of, 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 of learning and growth and not let that failing circumstance affect their identity, they are absolutely going to grow tremendously. And that does not take place in a one-day workshop. That it, It's through repetition, reinforcement, habits as we've been discussing, uh, continuing trial and error that people get better. Sorry. Hey, Jim, this has been like, every time I'm with you, I learn something new. And even though a lot of the things that we talk about or that you talk about, success triangle, et cetera, I've been learning from you for a long time, but we do need repetition. Yes. Otherwise, if we don't use it, we lose it. And that's definitely true for this 60 year old. <laughs> so um, uh, I want to go back. I, I want to go back a little bit in your career chronology, though. I want to go back to. What was corporate America like for you? What did you do? And then what was the springboard that took you into the Sandler world? And let's talk a little bit about that, too, because Sandler is world famous, that organization today. It may not have been when you started. And so I want to hear a little bit about that, too. Awesome. So I was in the hospital supply and medical industry uh, after college. I'm very grateful to corporate America because I learned 
Uh, I worked for a company called Medline Industries, who is still around today and actually a really big player. When I was with them, they were $100 million, and now they're several billion. So that's actually really cool to hear about, uh, about their success. So we used to go up to Chicago, which was their home office, Mundelein in, in the Chicago area, and we went up there for, uh, for training. And I have to tell you, uh, they did an awesome job with training. We learned all about various uh, products and we had services and and we learned about demos and we learned a, a lot of really good things. And I think they were one of the real pioneers of training, frankly. Uh, and I'm going back into the, you know, to the 80s here with us, because what they would do is they'd bring us in and they'd, we'd, they'd, they'd keep us for about a week or two, then they'd send this back out and we would go and uh, and we would come back later for more training. And so I learned the value of ongoing training and repetition because I learned more after having experiences and failures and, and coming back than I did initially. Uh, and so uh, that really uh, that really stuck out. So I was in that world. Uh, I became a sales manager, and uh, I was successful. So I learned about uh, I learned about sales. I learned about sales management skills. Uh, coincidentally, I find this interesting. I never had any training uh, as it related to uh, sales training or uh, becoming a sales manager, because the skills in becoming a really good sales manager are different than those of becoming a salesperson. Everything was about uh, product, learning product uh, and learning knowledge. And, and some of the best advice I ever had, uh, which I still agree now with, is that if you do not know the answer to something, don't wing it, don't fake it, don't make it up, tell someone, be honest. And I had a really good experience uh, early days in the OR when I was calling on a doctor and you do not want to answer a doctor or an OR nurse with BS when they know different. So it was very humbling. You know, you learn as much as you can so you don't have to be in that position, right? Well, I was in that position and somebody asked me a question and I said, look, I apologize. I don't know. And I'll, I'll get back with you with the answer. Well, I learned later that was a test. Uh, that they were, they wanted to know if I would really do that, or if I was going to be some slick salesperson and just try to wing it and and say something on the cuff. And so when I came back, uh, the doc was it told me, "Hey, look, I wanted to test you out on that. I really appreciate you doing that. And now, you know, hey, I'm going to start working with you. And you know, here's a requisition for a a product. So I learned a lot from from uh, from from that, Gary. So. Then what happened was, it might, how did I get into Sandler? Well, uh, every now and then, and I guess it's just me, I became a little bit bored. Uh, and I saw some things happening uh, in the medical field that I didn't like, meaning that I saw things that uh, where a lot of autonomy was being taken away from people who could make decisions to where there was more centralized decision making. And if you didn't have a, a contract that that literally was negotiated by someone else in the in the corporate white tower, people wouldn't buy from you. And that took some of the fun out of selling for me. Uh, so I began looking. I didn't like what I was seeing happening there in the medical field. And uh, I started looking and I found Sandler. And I want to give you a real quick story. Uh uh, 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 about that. And then we'll go on. So I found Sandler and I really wanted to make a decision to get into sales training. So I have a conversation with my dad and I'll never forget it. I was having this conversation with my dad about it. And he says, well, what kind of business do you want to get in? And I told him and I said, Hey dad, you know, I, I really, I want to get into sales training. I think it's going to be a great profession. And he looked over at me and he said to me, I would rather you sell GD hot dogs than sales training. Nobody needs sales training. <laughs> Nobody needs any of that because I'm dealing with a, 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 a successful 
salesperson who did this on on his own. And and, and at the time, I got to tell you, it caused a real and this caused a one year minimum rift in our relationship. And I had to face my own wimp junction. And rather than going to my dad's approval and winning his approval, and I and he always meant the world to me, I didn't. And because I pursued my dream and I went after it. Uh, and and so we had this um acrimonious relationship for a minimum of a year. And other than my wife, he's now my strongest advocate. So I had to tell that story there because I think anytime you were dealing with a change and anytime you're dealing with a transition, you're going to face a wimp junction. And a wimp junction is to stay and do what's comfortable and know what you're right, or you're going to face risk and uncertainty and it's going to be really uncomfortable. And it was uncomfortable for me. My wife and I had just had our third child and she was all for me. Uh, and, and, and so I'm uh, ever grateful to her for uh, her resilience and, and, uh, and staying with me. Uh, but the idea is that I, I changed because I wanted to and it created a whole new uh, environment to the, to where there was tremendous adversity. Wimp Junction. Ooh, <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard that, but that is a powerful inflection point. And man, to think about, you know, having that kind of a response from your father who you love and you respected, whoo, Boy, that challenges resolve and conviction. You know, was this a preference or was this conviction? And um, it was pretty clear it became conviction. It was a preference because it was a goal. It was a desire. It's interesting that uh, salespeople have a bill of rights. And it's something that David Sandler created. And it's actually, you know, really good. But one of the bill of rights is when you have a... Uh, you have the right to your dreams and your desires and your expectations. That was the preference. It became a conviction when I had to make an internal choice. Am I going to continue to try to please my father uh, and do the easy thing uh, and also jeopardize uh, my ability to finance a mortgage on a home uh, and other things. So it always starts with a preference, but then you face an inner conviction. And we all face little mini wimp junctions, sometimes daily, making the decision to do the right thing. So wimp junctions don't have to be uh, huge changes in like a uh, intersection of a railroad track. They could just be making a decision internally. Am I going to do the right thing or am I going to do the easy thing? So anytime we do that, and if we wimp junction, when we take the wimp route is we take the easy, comfortable route that we know. Uh, and who was it that wrote the book on, uh, or, you know, going on two paths and one path was uh, was looked like it was well laid out and looked like to be the better of the, of the roads. And I chose the path less traveled. Uh, the road less Ro traveled. I think that was a Robert Frost poem. Yeah, I think that was a Robert Frost poem. I believe you're right. And then there was an author who... Um, yeah, yeah, wrote, uh, you know, based upon that, uh, that poem by Robert Frost, the road less traveled. And I got to tell you, that can be a very arduous journey. But it's through those arduous journeys that make us who we are, that make us exciting people, people want to be around us, they want to hear our story. Uh, and, and oftentimes, 
we're all on a journey. And, uh, and, and there are times when that's when we need friends. That's when we need others. That's when we need that, uh, that going back to that preference, the preferences, why am I doing what it is that I'm doing? It's the conviction that gets us through it. So Jim, we're talking a lot about change, making change, having conviction as you do this. I want to bring us closer to now, right? Making that decision to, to come over and merge with BGW and be this director of BGW Growth Services. Can you talk to us at first about what led to that change? Because you had owned your own business and was doing this. You, you had that franchise. You were running this, this entire company. And this is a big shift. So talk to us about the why for that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. This was really a huge decision. And I have to tell you and everybody listening that I faced a lot of wimp junctions uh, along the way. Uh, but first and foremost, and I think this is one of the most important skills in professional selling is establishing relationships, right? We all understand the value of, of, and the, of relationships, uh, and it takes years for relationships to be cultivated and you can end relationship in a, in a millisecond. So we always have to work on that. So uh, the why behind that was I had a very good relationship with Adam Boatsman and the BGW team. Uh, I uh, am, I was, and I am a, uh, a BGW uh, client. So they did my taxes for a number of years and they always did an outstanding job for me and, and backed me up when I needed to. Uh, yet BGW was also a client of mine and I got to know uh, several of the uh, of the players and partners within BGW. So I think first and foremost is that we had a relationship. We had culture, we had a mutual respect. Had I not done had that, then nothing else would have pursued from there. Um, so, uh, the YBGW was when Adam and I were speaking about his vision, uh, and Adam is certainly, and many on the BGW team are the anti-accountants, meaning that they are, they've got, they they have really good people skills, and they they're visionaries. They really think it's not just about tactical doing taxes. So when we started first talking about this, here's what I really liked. One, they they liked our content my content, my ability to coach. But secondly is that Adam really wanted to help his clients. And what I mean by that was, is that as accountants, uh, accountants help out in the way of saving taxes, keeping all of their clients compliant with the federal and the state government, doing audit work. So they do everything they can to help them save money and be compliant. But what Adam also wanted to do, which I loved this vision, is he is he wanted to help his clients on the top line to make money. So he thought, well, if I can help my clients save money and be the good strategic CPA firm that we that we are and, and have been, and at the same time have another resource that we can help our clients to make money and build really good sales cultures, hiring people, developing people, uh, cultivating people, helping their top line growth. I caught hold of that vision and I loved it. And it wasn't because of the, it wasn't money. It was that I liked the, I liked the vision. And I think any leader, they buy into the vision first. Money is nothing more than a byproduct of that. So I like that. Uh, and then I had to go through the due diligence of, uh, of being able to sell my company. That's another story. But that's that's what that was my why and, and why I'm a part of uh, the BGW team and BGW Growth Services now. I want to interject one thing. First of all, <clears throat> sorry, I had my my uh, mic still on, and I'm 
getting past COVID. So I'm, I apologize for my coffee. <laughs> it's my, my problem. Um, but you mentioned something that was really, really important, which is buying into a vision mm-hmm. and the relationships. Because one thing that we have seen, and I've seen a ton of acquisitions and mergers, tons, and they don't always work out so well because it is a huge shift for an entrepreneur to say yes and amen and sell their company, their baby, something that they have toiled over, sweated over, sacrificed for. And now all of a sudden they don't have a hundred percent authority and decision-making power. I mean, that's a huge shift. And so, you know, Talk to us a little bit about that, too, because that's an adjustment, Jim. I mean, you're coming up on one year mm-hmm. of joining BGW, and that shift is a hard thing. And it, one thing that we always say is make sure you're running to something, not just running from something. And the running to has to be more than just a payday. Yeah. Like, what are you running to? So talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, Gary, it's been hard. Uh, I'd be lying to say it was easy and just a slam dunk and like a turning of the page and reading the book. Um, I had a lot of uh, of self-doubts uh, in there, um, going back to this wimp junction, you know, idea. Uh, and I had to battle, you know, through uh, through some, a lot, not some, I battled through a lot of adversity, but I, I will tell you, uh, that inside my mind, you're right. I, I was leading a company for 30 years and I made all the decisions and I had a team and I think I've been a good leader because I always, I want to get their input. It's not that I, I, in any way, I, you know, I, that I didn't get help from my team because I did. And I'm very, very grateful for my team. But at the end of the day, Pretty much we could, you know, do what we wanted to do. And, and you know, when I was part of a franchise, Sandler, so there were certainly, you know, guidelines, guideposts, if you will, along the way. But Sandler gives us a lot of latitude in, in, in how we and uh, in, in how we were running our, uh, our our company. And there were a lot of different models. And I was working the model that uh, that that uh, that that I liked. Uh, but I think making that transition, and, and so if I'm speaking to anybody right now that's considering a transition, I will tell you this, um, that give yourself a lot of grace, because when you are going through a major change and, and a transition, I didn't think enough about what that was really going to look like. You know, again, I had the, I believed in the culture that helped in the relationships that made it a lot easier. But some of the day-to-day challenges and some of the decisions, now I'm part of a team. Uh, and when I was back in corporate America, I was certainly a part of a team, but it, it wasn't so easy. It's like now, before I can just say, yeah, let's do it. It's like, oh, okay, I got to run this up the flagpole. I've got to get a little bit of, I gotta, I've got to get some uh, feedback on this. First of all, can I do this? You know, will that, will that really fit in? So we need to give ourselves grace and time for that transition. So as I look back on on 22, I had two major uh, things last year that came up that right now I feel like I'm back on the on the track running, but it's taken me, you know, that what, you know, that eight months or so. And one was a, a surgery that I had on my shoulder. Uh, so, uh, you have to always think about that physical side of yourself and are you taking good care of yourself on that? And secondly was that it took me longer to make the transition than I originally thought. I thought it would be okay, maybe 90 days. Nope. It took more like seven months, eight months to really make that full transition to where now I really do feel like I've got my track shoes on and I can get back on the, on the track and run. Yeah. Not only did you have both of those last year, but also the surgery was on the same day that you came over to BGW. So it was (laughs) a very, a very hectic time. Um, But that's such a great lesson because you can look at any sort of change 
and everybody going through change that once you've made that decision, it's exciting, right? And so you think yeah. things are going to go a lot smoother than they are. And yet that's very rarely the case. So it's a, it's a really good lesson to point out. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, just like what you said, Jim is really profound. Like any major change requires grace and an awareness of like, Hey, this is, this is not going to be nirvana. You know, when we, I think when we get ourselves into trouble, it's, we paint a false picture of nirvana. Oh, this is going to be great. Blah, blah, blah. And yet every acquisition, every merger, every major change you make requires um, a bit of an adjustment. And we say often, I, I say it every time I bring on a new client, hey, listen, the first year is going to be the roughest. It's not because we want it to be that way. It's not because you want it to be that way, but we're learning to dance with one another. We're going to step on each other's toes our communication styles are going to misfire more than once. And we're going to just need to have grace with one another, but we can't address anything unless we know about it. Don't suffer in silence. And I think, you know, you've done a pretty good job of that, Jim. Um, you know, we've had some really honest conversations with one another, and that's been a good thing, you know, mm -hmm. and especially... When, you know, before a deal happens, oh, you know, you're thinking about all the positives <laughs> and we want to kind of paper over the negatives. We don't want to think about those. Well, <laughs> they, they will emerge. But I think going back, you said relationships, important mm -hmm. and vision, relationships and vision and if we have that humility and are willing to have conversations back and forth, we can emerge in a much stronger position. But when we don't and when we isolate and we get into that self chatter that can go negative pretty quickly, then I think we get in trouble. So, Jim, as we wrap up here. You first off, I appreciate how much you've shared, right? Not only about your story, but also the lessons along the way, the habits, the tactical things that you see with the clients that you serve. Are there any any final thoughts that you want to leave the uh, the listeners with before we wrap up? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, first of all, I appreciate everyone who's uh, listening in, and I would just say uh, that you know, in conclusion here that uh, give yourself a lot of grace in the sense that life really is a journey. It's an incredible journey. Uh, you have the right to what you want and what you desire. You have the right to, uh, to ask questions. Uh, you, one of my favorites is you have the right to lunch or free lunch once you pay the price. There is no free lunch, but you've got to pay the price and through and, and that's through a, a lot of, uh, of hard work. Uh, and really, the final thing that I would say is, is that keep learning, keep growing on a scale of one to 10. Uh, as you look at your at where you are right now and whatever the day, just do a quick one to 10 assessment. You know, 10 is. I am a voracious leader or reader, listening to audiobooks, reading, and subjects outside of my uh, uh, you know interest or or business. But you know, really, what makes you that well-rounded person? And one of my favorite sayings, and I'll end with this, is especially because I work with a lot of people who are just coming aboard and they get a little nervous that they don't know product knowledge yet and service. Well, here's a real simple formula for that. 30 minutes a day. If you will spend 30 minutes a day uh, into your profession, whether it be sales or engineering or medical, 30 minutes a day learning, learning something new, you will become an expert in 10 years. 
you can't fast forward that. Oh, you might be able to say, okay, well, 30 minutes now or whatever. I still think it takes those number of hours uh, to become an expert. So I think we all want to become experts with what we do. And it's not only that amount of time in 10 years, the great learners, the great leaders are all of those who have learned that habit and they continue on with it. They continue on with that 30 minutes, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. I'm learning so much more now that it's truly exciting, whether it's technology, whether the sales games changed since COVID. There are so many changes that have taken place. And what will get you aboard of everything else and being in that leader uh, position rather than at leasters is to continue to grow and learn. Yeah, very, very well said. Where can people go to to check you out, to check out BGW Growth Services and you personally? Yeah, just uh, bgwgrowthservices.com. Uh, real easy uh, for you to go to uh, our website uh, and take a look at uh, who and uh, and what we do. Uh, and my email address is jim.dunn at sandler.com. I would love to get, uh, you know, to hear from you with either any questions or for uh, for us to speak in the near future. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jim. My pleasure. Jim, so good to have you on this call. And yes, I learn more things. There's always stuff to learn whenever you're around Jim Dunn or around anybody, quite frankly. There's always a story to be told and worth listening to. So thank you, Jim. Really appreciate your transparency. And I trust well, that others will, will benefit from it as much as I did. Thanks, man. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate you both. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.